So I'd like you to turn to Revelation and chapter 2. Been thinking about repentance. There are a lot of things we can discover if we read scripture carefully and compare scripture with scripture. For example, there are seven churches to which the Lord speaks here in chapter 2 and chapter 3. And you probably noticed that only to five of those churches does he use the word repent. In chapter 2 and verse 5, he says repent. And then in further down in chapter 2 and verse 16 to this another church, and verse 21 to a third church, And in chapter 3, and verse 3, he says, repent. And then in chapter 3, and verse 19. So, if you notice that, you ask yourself, why didn't the other two churches get such a word? Was there nothing they had to repent of? So we need to ask ourselves, what is it I have to repent of? Once we see the definition of sin correctly, then we will know repentance means a turning from sin. You heard about a U-turn. U-turn from what? U-turn from sin. So then we need to know what is God's definition of sin. The world, there are so many definitions of sin. Hinduism has got its understanding of sin and Islam has got its and many Christians have got their understanding of sin. And most Christians, their understanding of sin is from the Ten Commandments. Don't worship idols. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't kill. Things like that. But If you read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus said that was Old Testament repentance. In the New Testament, he equated murder with anger and he equated adultery with lusting with the eyes and other things there. So repentance is at a higher level in the New Testament. And because many people have not taken the New Testament standard Their repentance is an Old Testament standard. So if your repentance is an Old Testament standard, you get an Old Testament salvation, which is very superficial. Your sins are covered, not blotted out. So many people would like the blessings of the New Covenant without the repentance of the New Covenant. What is it a U-turn from? Is it a U-turn from Old Covenant Ten Commandments? Or a U-turn from the way Jesus interpreted the Ten Commandments in the Sermon on the Mount. That only you know. And the second thing I want to say is, <clears throat> repentance was never meant to be a once-for-all event. Because I need to keep making U-turn till when? It says in 1 John, Chapter 2, 
and verse 6. The one who says he abides in Christ, and I think everybody sitting here will say, I am in Christ. And then this is for you. Every day of your life, you have to walk exactly as Jesus walked. Those are not my words. Sometimes when I quote scripture, people get upset with me. I said, read the word. You have to walk every day in exactly the same way. That means by the same principles that motivated Jesus. Every day means morning till night as Jesus walked. You say that's impossible. Right, it will be impossible for you. Because you say it's impossible. But somebody else says, it's not impossible. God will never give me a command that's impossible and torture me. Will you ask your child to take a five ton weight on his head and then punish him for not putting that five ton weight on his head? Are we accusing God of being stricter than we are towards our children? I believe some people are. So they ignore it and say, no, 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 it can't be like that. And so they go back to the Old Testament standard of repentance. And I want to say to you, my dear brothers and sisters, if you find that your Christian life is not exciting, there's a beautiful paraphrase of, I think it's Proverbs 14, 14 in the Living Bible, which says the godly man's life is exciting. Why is it exciting? I'll tell you why I find my life to be exciting. Because I'm discovering constantly new areas of my life where I'm not walking as Jesus walked so that I can repent. Make another U-turn in some area that I never discovered before. It's just like a child going from kindergarten to first grade learning, oh, there's such a thing called multiplication. I only knew about addition till now. And then there's exciting and you go to the next class and you learn something more exciting. Aha, there's something called long division, which is a little more complicated than ordinary division. And then I discovered that's not the end of it. And you go to every class and you discover mathematics is an endless subject. You go all the way to PhD and there's postdoctorate study in mathematics. Imagine a Christian life like that where you learning to walk as Jesus walked endlessly to a postgraduate degree. It requires constant repentance. And that's why those two churches in Smyrna, in Philadelphia, there was no command to repent because they were constantly repenting. So if the Lord were to come to you and give you a message, which message will it be? Will it be the one to the five churches? Repent. Because there are areas where you know, where you know that you're not Christ-like in the way you speak to your husband, to your wife. And you've been doing that for years. And you haven't repented. You just take it for granted because you are living in an Old Testament repentance, the Ten Commandments. Whereas the New Testament repentance has, you'll find words like this. Matthew chapter 12. 
and verse 36 and 37, where Jesus said, I tell you, now whenever I read a word like verily, verily, or I tell you, what does that mean? Does it mean all the other things Jesus did not tell us? Why does he say, I tell you? It's like when you tell your son, I tell you. That means I mean business here. I'm telling you something seriously. Everything is what I'm telling. But when I say, I tell you, you're not to do that. You know, when your son hears it like that, he says, dad is serious. And he says, I tell you, you shouldn't do that. I tell you, Matthew 12, 36. Every careless word or idle word that people speak, put your name there, that you speak, you will give an account in the day of judgment. I want to ask you, my dear brothers, how many of you can honestly say before God, I believe that. And I want to live by that. I take it seriously. Not just generally how I spoke during the whole day, but every single word which is it says idle means a non-working word. That means a word that accomplished nothing. It's just I believe it's referring to words that hurt others, sinful words. It's not a neutral word, but something which has hurt others particularly. You have to give an account in the Day of Judgment. Do you really believe that? That every angry word you spoke to your wife or your husband, you have to give an account for that word in the Day of Judgment unless you repented before God and asked forgiveness from your wife or your husband. I tell you from my experience, Christians in many countries, Born-again believers, 95% don't believe that. I hope you're in the remaining 5% who believe it. And in the final day, we say we are justified by faith. But James says, faith without works is dead. It's a dead faith and a living faith. You see a dead man here. He's got 10 fingers. He's got 10 toes. He's got two eyes and two ears, but he's dead. And the living man has also got ten fingers and two legs and two eyes and two ears, but he's living. But body members-wise is the same. So there can be a similar language between two believers, and one is living and one is dead. Just like the dead man's got all the members of his body, but he's dead. And you can all, all have all the right language, particularly if you come to NCCF, you, you learn the right language. And you can have the right language and be as dead as that dead man who's got all the parts of his body. Then you need to repent. Repentance is a constant thing. God is my witness that I seek to repent every single day of my life. Because I want to walk as Jesus walked more and more and more. And I'm discovering areas of my life that are unchristlike. I've used the illustration of the ice cube. An ice cube in a glass of, say, grape juice, you can see only 10%. Slice off that top 10%, what happens? Something that's underneath comes up. That's how our life is. We have two parts, like the ice cube. 10% is visible, 
90% is unconscious. We don't know the areas we're sinning. If you acknowledge that, if you acknowledge there is a 90% hidden underneath the surface, you'll never see it until you slice off the top part. You deal with the sins that you know, and that which is hidden will come up. Then you deal with that part. And the Christian life is a constant work of slicing off that top 10% till the self-life becomes less and less and less and less and less. This is the meaning of baptism. In baptism, I'm saying, Lord, I deserve to be buried. My self-life, my life which I inherited from Adam, there's only one thing it's fit for. Death, burial. And if somebody pushes me down to death, I thank him. Like John the Baptist baptized Jesus and he accepted it. When I was seeking for the baptism of the Holy Spirit many years ago, the Lord pointed me to the baptism of Jesus when the Holy Spirit came on him afterwards and the Lord said to me, and I'll never forget it, if you choose the way of total death to yourself and accept it, whether somebody else pushes you down or you choose to go down yourself and you accept it, as you come up, the Spirit of God will come upon you. But the day you choose not to go that way, but assert yourself and you don't want to be pushed down, or you resist when somebody pushes you down and you refuse to go down, my power will depart from you. And I've never forgotten it. And I've said, Lord, I want your power to be upon me always. I want to tell you, those of you who are seeking for the power of the Holy Spirit, here it is. Repent and be baptized. And live in the spirit of repentance and baptism. And the Spirit of God will be upon you always. Amen.